to Supply Chain Next with your host, Richard Donaldson. Join us as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges professionals face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. Welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next, and I am thrilled here to have Dr. Marcel Vollmer, a uh, very, very accomplished, accredited supply chain expert in all things uh, out of Germany, and good afternoon, Marcel. Good morning to you, and yeah, I'm joining in here from Pinecourt, and many thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I, I again, just appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know, it is a tiny world in the area of supply chain. You have made a, a significant mark. So without further ado, as I like to ask all people in sort of the comic book parlance, your origin story, right? Who is Dr. Marcel Volmer? How did you how did you get started? Uh, you know, throughout your career, people who listen to the show are both, you know, undergraduates, graduates, and people, you know, looking to get into the supply chain. You know, how did you all get started? What was your what was the beginning of, of your story? Great question at the beginning of the chart. And I would say it was more a coincidence that my first job, um, when I was just finishing my A level. Um, was a DHL Express. And I got a job offer basically to um, help on the logistics side at the airport, including customs control and all the things, the paperwork, what you need to do. But also taking care of the planes and really um, taking care of the loading of planes and really walking around um, at the airfield in Hamburg, Germany. And this was an amazing opportunity. And this is really where I started my career in supply chain at DHL Express. Um, I, I only had this as a, as a part-time job, um, but basically I continued it also over the time uh, during my studies. Mm -hmm. And after I graduated, um, DHL made me an offer I couldn't say no, leading a large project, centralizing customer service. And this is how I really got, got into it. Now changing a little bit more to back office function, shared services, optimizing processes and really getting and into a broader overview, I would say, no longer uh, paperwork logistics handling what I did. Right. And, I and, 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 and if I could, I'm, and, and every now and then I well, may jump okay. in and, 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 and double click on a couple things. Did you go to Did you go to studies with the intention of getting into the supply chain or did you just kind of fall into it? I've, I've heard quite a few anecdotal stories where not a lot of people, you know, seek to join supply chain, but they kind of fall into it. You know, were you were you thinking in a, in your studies that you were going to get into supply chain? Judge, that's a great question. I started um, my studies uh, to become a tax auditor. Oh, this was so. So you see, I'm um, <laughs> sorry, so where is that? Okay, I'm, I'm very far away from from um, um, from any supply chain related activities because. It was a part-time job I was just doing to to uh, make some money for my living sure. and not really thinking about wow, this could also be a start in your career. And therefore, I had totally different intent. It changed also as a very unfortunate event. The professor I was looking forward really to get into that business, um, he died very early. And uh, by that, um, the entire uh, time at university got a little bit... Um, change. There was another thing also that Arthur Anderson, you might know, um, there was uh, a big scandal at this point in time um, and um, the company disappeared and um, it split um, in different uh, in different ones. And by that, I decided also I might change to go to consulting hmm. instead. Uh, but you see, 
Um, it turned out uh, still differently, um, and plans can change at university. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, it's also interesting because, especially in you know, and we'll get to the sort of bulk of your career and then kind of where you're at. But even at the time frame, right? So if I'm looking at this, you you came out of university somewhere in the late '90s or you know mid to late '90s, and then then but then you opportunistically took a job at DHL kind of foreshadowing some of the global logistics and supply chain kind of things that were there. But again, while you're at DHL, that got your feet wet, which then led you ultimately to SAP. But that, again, there's sort of a logistics to more overall supply chain planning. What was going on in those four, five, six years, early 2000s that kind of developed you towards the next step towards SAP? I would say the integration of DHL into Deutsche Post was definitely a um, game-changing event also for my career. Right. The reason is fairly simple. Um, I was tasked to first to prepare performance improvement programs to work in different um, in different um, functions. Um, later on, also become a, um, a post-merger integration lead for different projects. European Salesforce integration was one of them. Um, they all customer service, shared services where other ones I was I was leading. And it was really a time for me to think about what do I want to do and how do I want to continue my career. Mm-hmm. And, um, basically, um, Deutsche Post DHL was really a massive organization with, I think, around 500,000 people, um, and five times larger than DHL was at this mm-hmm. point in time um, prior to the acquisition by Deutsche Post. Um, and I had to ask myself, what do you really want to do? How do you want to work? Um, what are the colleagues you want to um, connect with? And, and how do you really think also that your customer can develop? And by that, I figured out that, hey, DHL is an amazing logistic company, no doubt about that. But probably I should move on also doing something different. And I got an offer from SAP where I thought, wow, that's amazing. Having an opportunity to work for as a number one business software company, um, by the way, headquartered in in Germany, and I thought this could be probably a good step for me. And um, as I was not really very um, good at programming at all, um, mm-hmm. I did not do any coding at this point in time. Basically, it was not a big surprise that I started my career in the finance department, working for the CFO and um, transforming something what I. Um, got a little bit experience in, and this was basically the process optimization, business process reengineering, setting up shared services to really transform the back office function. So you see, it was a little bit of a different angle, and um, I continued my career then um, and thought, hey, um, probably um, it's a good idea to really get a little bit deeper into finance, but things are changing sometimes, and SAP decided to acquire business objects. Um, the largest um, um, acquisition they have done until um, 2007, a 6.5 billion acquisition, um, around 6,000 people. And as I was one of the few with post-merger integration experience, um, I got asked by my boss, the group CFO, hey Marcel, um, yeah. would, you, would you mind to sign up here for integrating um, mm-hmm. the company? And, and I was really uh, flattered by that. Uh, a large opportunity for me also to grow. Um, and uh, this is basically how I continued following by some other acquisitions uh, before I really got into procurement. So you see, I started on supply chain logistics side, I did something on the process management um, 
side and then later on as chief procurement officer at SAP, I basically came back into, um, if you want to call supply chain or um, source to pay when you look from the process side. Well, and 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 again, I think these are, you know, in, in <laughs> as I'm going to highlight here, you know, you did it. So, and I think you also just, you know, you've got a confident humility about you, right? So you, you, you may over kind of flash over these things, but the question I want to get to is your career at SAP, whether through intention or not, seems to parallel SAP's transformation almost simultaneously into more of a global powerhouse, you know, emerging from an kind of a finance ERP-like system into a supply chain-esque style company. It seems like their transformation or evolution was kind of going on simultaneously, right? Whether you, you know, whether you chose that or not, or you were, you, know, you were obviously a part of that, but your career within SAP kind of also parallels the company's evolution to some extent, right? From what I'm kind of looking at, because you're looking about SAP acquired Ariba, what, back in just before you kind of got into running that, right? So early 2000. Right, right. 2012, right? So that was a huge, huge play. And that's kind of their opening salvo into we're no longer just a finance CRP company. We're moving across all supply chain, you know, procurement, the whole nine yards. So my question really is looking back on that period and reflecting a little bit, how does your development with this within SAP kind of parallel SAP's evolution as a company? Right, because it seems to they seem to kind of go together. Very well observed to the chat that there was a huge transformation within SAP at this point in time. Number one was basically to continue the growth by inorganic growth, growth by acquisitions. What SAP did, I mentioned this as object Cybis was the next large one. Um, then I think was success factors, and then Ariba, Fitlas, Conquer. Um, I think overall more than 30 billion what SAP right. invested in acquisitions, acquiring market leaders um, in certain fields uh, to really go to the next level to basically accompany the transition from on-premise into the cloud. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky being at the right point in time, at the right place, having the opportunity also um, to um, to support here with my knowledge and in certain tasks um, and really and getting into um, some deep transformational activities. So you know, absolutely right on the transformation of um, of SAP, and that's why SAP is now market leader or continued being market leader in ERP systems. I think they they claim that seventy five percent of all transactions touching an SAP system sooner or later, um, which is really um, 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 amazing seeing such a number. Um, when you look out how basically all companies operate their infrastructure. Yep. Well, again, 100%. And as you were talking that through, I think another thing that's interesting about this is, well, first of all, uh, the phrase that comes to mind is chance favors the prepared mind, right? So, so yes, you may have been at the right place at the right time, but you also were <laughs> preparing in a way, whether you knew it or not, to kind of, you know, escalate your own career development in the area of supply chain, right? So, so you know, credit to you on that one. But also, there was also transformation going outside of SAP, right? So there's you within SAP, there's SAP itself, but then SAP as a company was smart enough to be probably, I'm going to say, about 10 to 15 years ahead of where this, you know, decade of supply chain that we're in now, right? Like, they had a foresight to kind of see that this thing was coming, right? And it, it also kind of dovetails in a lot of areas, when I think was going on, like even when you talk about your kind of former life or current life in consulting, 
So like, you know, a guy who you may know or run across, Dave Anderson, was over at Accenture, right? Building their supply chain practice in the early 2000s, late 90s, which was which was the first big consulting firm to start supply chain consulting, right? So early 2000s, then he went into supply chain ventures. And so what I'm going to ask you here is now reflecting also on that same time frame, what was going on in enterprises that either you or SAP or just, you know, what what was... What did you guys see that was 10 years in advance that supply chain was going to be as big of a deal as we now know in 2022, but back in the early 2000s? Do you, do you think you kind of had, I mean, the company SAP did, and you were right in the middle of it. So I'm just, it must have been a fascinating period to see that the Fortune 2000s were start. you know, you were just 10 years ahead of where they were getting ready for all this supply chain stuff. So how come it took so long? Why then? You know, like what was going on in that period that you think kind of gave way to the supply chain decade we have now? I think there were multiple factors to consider here. Number one was um, SEP was really forward-looking into how is the market developing by taking a decision um, to move from on-premise into the cloud. I think this was one element, and by that, also focusing on big data yep. and analytics to really have end-to-end um, processes and overview. Supply chain is one natural process basically connecting everything. If you want to keep it very simple in four words, it is plan, um, it is procure or source, um, it is make, and it is deliver. And basically, SCP was already very good on the on the backbone, on the infrastructure side. So therefore, the natural thing also connecting now the different software elements to the ERP system, enhancing the supply chain solutions, and as you mentioned already, um, acquiring market leaders like Aliva, Feedlast, Conquer to really have a complete set of end-to-end process solutions available um, for source to pay. And I think all that integrated one solution was at this point in time a very compelling advantage and something SCP um, dipped that big on that. Uh, not all analysts um, liked it at this point in time, but you see how um, the world is evolving and how important supply chain management is right now. I give you one example. Um, in 2011, just after I got um, appointed as chief procurement officer, there were two events, probably you and lots of um, the listeners might remember. First one was Fukushima. It was a couple of weeks into my job and basically Fukushima happened. Um, a big catastrophe. Um, and what we learned also at this point in time, I was at a, con- a procurement conference at this point in time, and lots of other CPOs, because I was at the beginning of my role, I wanted to learn, I tried to pick the brain um, of other attendees at the conference. They told me, yeah, myself, um, um, a big catastrophe. But on the other side, we are not impacted, we are not doing lots of business in Japan. I asked also my team, and we looked a little bit deeper, and I learned one thing for sure. Yes, tier one suppliers, we know exactly where they are, um, but basically tier two or tier three suppliers. So basically having really an overview about your entire supply chain, and um, also which other suppliers critical for your tier one or tier two suppliers, we haven't had really a good overview. And I think other CPOs learned it as well. Fortunately, we were not impacted so much, but basically it was not a lot of time to prepare and really get supplier data straight um, when the next event happened. And this is the flood in Thailand. And here I learned at a, basically the peak of the decision to expand, and I mentioned the cloud strategy, the expansion of data centers was key at this point in time. And what do you need for data centers? You need servers, you need hard disks to really 
um, loser set up um, on a global scale. And SAP was heavily investing at this point in time. And we learned, oh, wow, 70% of all the hard disks are now uh, getting impacted right. By, right. Um, by a flat. And this was also showing you a little bit how important it is really to have full transparency, to get the data, and also to have the analytics um, um, at your hand to react on that. And now we see what's happening. Um, we have sort of um, Russian war against Sibukain with impact. Uh, we see what, what's happening if China is closing. Shanghai is the largest neighbor in the world. We even see what can happen if one single ship got stuck in the source canal, the Evergreen. Um, what we have seen, and the entire supply chain basically stops, more or less. And mm -hmm. as we are doing around 94 trillion GDP globally, um, 18 out of that is global trade. And you see the magnitude. It is almost 20% um, uh, what we are talking about here, what is impacted. And by that, definitely, we need to take care of supply chain. And therefore, um, I'm still... Um, um, very much convinced that supply chain management is what you need to focus on. Now you need to add sustainability as another component and the risk mitigation, having multiple suppliers um, to also be prepared in the case of crisis, whatever might happen. This has really changed and shifted the priorities, what I have seen in supply chain management, the same in, in procurement. Well, and I was going to say, as you're going through that, there's a, so much to unpack in there, but a couple of that, couple of global events in 2011, right? Fukushima and the floods in Thailand. And I, you know, I also know data centers as sort of my former career. And I remember that time when there was a chip shortage and everyone was freaking out, right? Because no one could get the silicon, the fabs, all the stuff were flooded out, the materials. But that's an interesting point, though, to make, which is at that juncture, somewhere in 20, you know, we'll call it, you know, late 2000s, um, the the global economy, people like you started to recognize. It was one giant supply chain. So something that predated that was the whole manufacturing redistribution going on the 20 and 30 years before that, right? So from the 80s up to the 2000s, you kind of had this, you know, everyone was, you know, realized we have all these materials, right? So you talk about the $100 trillion economy, I think 94 trillion, uh, it's actually, you know, 100 trillion is the number I see, which is sort of round and easy, whatever. And that's 100 gigatons of materials that feed that supply chain, which comes out of uh, your back, the 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 uh, the uh, uh, the economic group out of the Netherlands there, right? The Circle Economy Group, right? They do their circularity gap report. All that data feeds into the UN uh, and, and and everybody World Economic Forum. But where I'm headed is, we kind of had this sort of you know uh, 20, 30 years leading up to the 2000s, where manufacturing was getting reshifted around the world, so that your base input to the global supply chain was kind of this global manufacturing kind of system, right? Even though people didn't recognize that. But then somewhere in late 2000s, you have a couple of these, you know, uh, events, right? Floods, nuclear, whatever, that now people like you begin to see, oh my God, we have to start worrying about procurement, right? You know, as one big system, as one big supply chain, we have to start planning in that way. We have to start thinking in that way, right? But it still didn't give way. It took about 10 or 15 years for us to get to where we are today. It took a pandemic to kind of shove everything into the spotlight that, hey, this is one giant supply chain. We have to start acting that way. But somewhere along the way, we also started talking about sustainability, right? Yeah. And I think that's one I don't want to gloss over too quickly because everyone was focused early on and through no fault of anybody's, and even your title belays that, chief procurement officer. But there still wasn't a supply chain, a holistic view of the supply chain with sustainability and circularity 
becoming critical strategic factors of that supply chain planning. But that's a recent event that happened. How come that also took then a 10 or 15 year lag for everyone to begin to see that as well? Uh, that's that's a great um, observation. And I couldn't agree more than that really is a shift what I was talking about. Um, in the past, basically, global supply chain was a given. Um, if you want to produce something, you do it in China. Probably you think about Vietnam or other um, emerging countries around the world, whatever you want to want to pick. Um, it can be also South America, Africa, wherever. Um, and, and you simply thought, wow, I have access to all the resources. And the only thing what I need to consider is what is really the best price what I could get. Because freight was not very, very expensive. I think a container between Asia and Europe, what was it? Uh, prior to the pandemic, it was around 2000 bucks, something like that. Um, this has substantially changed. Um, in the last um, uh, in the last years, um, and this was really basically the underlying assumption: Wow, we just need to manage our supply chain, and the more volume we can can put on some suppliers, the better the price will be, and everything will be available at any point in time. Um, you know, also just in time delivery, um, reducing inventories, the um, um, restructuring of warehouses because you wanted more to give it to suppliers and they should bring it on tax whenever it's needed or on ships. Um, this was basically the thinking from 10, 15 years before. And basically the underlying assumption was this will last forever. Right. In probably other countries, um, we, we get natural resources from Russia, China, it's basically an um, um, an emerging economy. In the meantime, it's the second largest in the world, which is growing very fast and simply everything will continue. But now we learned things have changed tremendously and, and we need to face the fact that we are living in a different world right now. It is not always well, a pandemic. Look also what now the discussion is about um, um, the energy in Russia, I'm here in Germany, and, and basically we are heavily impacted by um, the gas crisis, um, the increase of the prices, much different than what we see in the United States, a um, much richer country on natural resources compared to Europe. And by then also there's a different dependency. We need simply now to work and think about how can we basically continue our goals? How can we think about the future and how do we operate our supply chain in the future. It is no longer the case that we will get the natural resources, the energy from Russia um, for a fairly cheap price and then basically we can produce everything in China. We have seen what can happen if Russia takes one decision to basically stop the pipelines. In the meantime, um, most of them are destroyed. Um, and on the other side also what can happen if um, um, one party in China um, the government decides, oh no, we have a lockdown and we close um, a haver and basically we don't care about what's happening. Right. Now we have also, you mentioned semiconductor crisis, things like that, which are attached to it. We need simply to rethink the way how we do business. We need to look in a different way and how we connect with suppliers, how we also can ensure that the risk mitigation is in place prior to the risk happening. And of course, there's a different element in that, so, um, sustainability. And I can give you one example on, on, on that. Um, um, Piers Grohl in, in Argentina 
um, um, I bought them in uh, the United States, which you could argue um, makes makes um, sense. But mm -hmm. when you see them packaged in Thailand, huh. think of that where Argentina is. Yep. Um, you go um, you go to the other side of the world to Tyler um, on a ship um, to basically get the peers into the tiny plastic packages. What we um, see out of three years in the United States. Um, um, so that's a real example. And basically then, um, uh, you need to transport it again. Um, think about the CO2 footprint, but think also about the logistics price. During the pandemic, the 2000 bucks, what I mentioned for a container went up to 20,000, so 10 X. And in the meantime, it's around, um, four times more between eight and nine. Um, thousand US dollar. What you what you need to pay for a container, but basically, uh, there is a change also in using the resources, thinking about CO two consumption, which was not a factor in the past. It was simply the price, and if the price is okay, this was not a stupid decision. Putting something on a ship in Argentina, bring it to Thailand, and then bring it back to the United States. Commercially, it, it perfectly made sense. But when you look on the natural resources and also if CO2 has a price, things are changing. And now if freight is getting higher, um, basically you need to rethink how you want to operate your supply chain. And you only can do it if you really look end to end in all different aspects, collaborate in a different way with your suppliers using the right technology, full transparency about the data to really do the proper planning to procure the right things for your manufacturing and consider all logistics aspects for the distribution. Gotcha. And I mean, again, so much insight in there that's also, and, and, and I'm going to kind of back into a question here, which is, you know, your observations, which, you know, 100% agreement, of course. And, and, and I think also your learnings as you go through this, like, again, you were at SAP during a time that you were connecting these dots for this integrated global supply chain. And as I look at your titles, even, it's like, even your titles parallel kind of how this progressions happen. It's like you kind of started in logistics of all things, and then you move into procurement. Next thing you know, you're looking at the whole supply chain, right? Now you're adding sustainability into it. I mean, I'm literally laying out how the world has begun to look at this thing, right? Over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And you kind of did it firsthand at one of the world's premier supply chain companies that transformed and is transforming this global supply chain into one cohesive supply chain. So my question is, again, reflecting on kind of how you progressed within your career at SAP, you know, what were you observing amongst the different enterprises that kind of led in this direction? I mean, this seems like the natural conclusion. Everyone kind of got there, but you were there not only figuring it out from SAP's perspective, you were integrating these companies, developing the strategy that lined up and drove the Fortune 2000 chief supply chain officers to start thinking in this way as well too, right? So what was going on at that time, both for yourself, for SAP and the, and your customers, right? I mean, like, because you, you were at the heart of the transformational trend that was happening that we're just now seeing 10 years or 15 years later, right? Like, you know, what was going on with the enterprises? Why were customers kind of, you know, plagued at that point in time? You know, they started moving towards procurement. Oh, we got to start worrying about cost and delivery. And then all of a sudden that gave way to larger supply chain system level thinking and then sustainability what was what was you know what was your observations of the companies your clients at that time you know why why were you ahead of the curve yeah i think 
One advantage what I really had was um, in my different roles, starting even prior to my chief procurement officer role, when I was CEO or later on chief digital officer on the FCP side, um, I was interacting and, and meeting hundreds of customers every year. Um, might be at large conferences, um, supply chain events, procurement events. Um, but by that, I had also the pleasure looking a little bit and understanding deep um, what is it really what companies from all industries around the world are really having on top of their minds. And this was definitely also helping me. And of course, it is hard work. You need to connect the dots. Um, you need to have a lot of conversations with different executives to really understand the industry specifics, their priorities, um, and and getting access um, to the information you need, which you then can bring back to your teams when you really understand. And of course, um, I'm also one human being. Twenty four hours is what what a day has, as we all know. Um, and by that. Um, I had to prioritize and I started looking at specific industries. Here in um, um, in the United States, I was really across all industries. When I came back to Europe, I was focusing on one industry, the chemical industry, or later on I expanded that to the process industry. Um, number one reason is, um, of course, um, when you understand the chemical industry, um, you definitely also understand how the global economy works because they are globally connected. Um, to all parts in the world, and they have a very sophisticated supply chain because they need to ensure that all the components, what they need, um, are arriving at time um, for the manufacturing processes, and also lots of other um, uh, productions are dependent on in-time delivery um, by what the chemical industry is, is producing. And this helped me also then to really condense the information, looking what is the industry-specific problem, from chemical, you could go to process industry. From process industry, you could also look into what are similarities for manufacturing, for automotive companies? Um, what is it for mining companies? Um, what is it really in the real tail? What, what people are currently looking into that? And basically, when you really um, digest and think about what is the common pattern, what you see, mm -hmm. It's all about the connections of the processes and having the full transparency and the data available. In the past, when I started my career, there were data available, but basically there were no systems available where you really could consolidate and get access to it in an easy way. Nowadays, everything is in the cloud and you can real time monitor when your ship is leaving, um, where is your ship at this point in time, when is it... Um, supposed to reach uh, the Haber and um, other tracks in time to basically transport what is on their chip to your production lines. Mm -hmm. So basically by that you have a totally different way in how you can operate. Think about the capabilities of digital twins what we have. Yeah. We really can also simulate, simulate um, what's happening by basically using data models um, and connecting the different dots. And this is really what the big changes and where you see um, how important it is um, to connect industry expertise um, with the solutions when you produce software and then also to bring it back to the companies to make it digestible for them what to do now and how to really drive your digital transformation. That's basically what my job was, not only looking as CEO, chief operating officer, um, 
on the priorities of the development department, um, bringing back the customer input, but on the other side also as chief digital officer later on, helping really clients to understand and prioritize how to start and make the journey really a journey they can also digest within their existing company to benefit from the available technologies, but also benefit from the data and the access they have by information. Probably in the future, we will see blockchain solutions that you really can not only monitor certain things like a ship, you also can ensure, wow, um, the palm oil I'm buying is sustainable because I have the data, I can prove. There's a certificate, I know exactly from which farmer, from which field even. Um, my palm oil comes, I know the container where it's in, and I can assure basically this container is now um, coming to me um, and whatever I could use, um, I know exactly how it got um, harvested and also every single step in between. And basically if you put this on a larger scale for the close to 100 um, trillion economy on the GDP what we are, you can imagine what also the opportunities are around in the world by connecting the data and really working with the data. And everything is connected um, by the supply chains um, for the different products we are talking about. Right. Well, I, I, again, listening to your observations, you're confirming both from your own personal experience in your career development, corporate experience with SAP, and then interactions with the global you know, supply chain practitioners, the Fortune 2000, kind of this iterative progression. You mentioned digital twins. You mentioned the network. You mentioned the system level thinking, right? And also the processes and workflows associated with kind of connecting all this stuff. My question, though, is in underneath all of that, though, to connect all this stuff, we still need the asset data, right? Yes. The asset information. So the digital, you know, I, you just laid out perfectly a digital roadmap for an enterprise to follow, right? And the premise is going to be, I'm going to be digital twinning your supply chain. And it's going to start with the fundamental question, I believe, and I'm going to ask you this is, you know, can I even see your assets? Because I can't even do the workflows until the assets are connected. So my question is, that seems to also be a big gap still, right? Asset kind of transparency, asset data, asset information, because it's one thing to have the assets themselves connected, and it's another thing to have quality and clean data, right? Because as we know, those are two very different things, right? Just because I have connected things doesn't mean I have good and clean data. So in your estimation, kind of looking back on that and where we are today, how, how, is it just because it's a really hard problem to solve to connect all that information? Is it is it that you know people are still figuring out you know IoT's been around for a long time, so why isn't there an RFID label on every single asset moving around the world, right? I mean that's that's my silly question. When I got into supply chain, I was just I was sort of dumbfounded. I was like, how is it this stuff doesn't exist? I would have thought it was there already, but it's actually not, right? We're still we're still doing a lot of what, what I'd consider basic things. And I think the world is even, it's like, oh my God, I don't actually know where all my assets are, right? So that seems to be just an open-ended, you know, you can't solve anything until that's done. You know, so question is why why is that still kind of front and center today? And in your, you know, when you look back on it, how come people, you know, people went right to the finance thing and then they went to the supply chain and the procurement side of it. Then they got into workflows and orchestration. I totally get all that. But somehow we left assets on the side for a little bit. John, I could hear more on what you are saying about the importance of the assets. And um, <clears throat> I'm, um, I would join you um, 
in your assumption about RFID chips might be available. Probably not RFID chips, but basically a technology by having full transparency about every single asset. What is important is not only um, one asset when we talk about it, we also might talk about the combination of different assets so in the manufacturing process, because at the end, it is different components. Um, think about what we all have in our one favorite device, um, the smartphones, what we are, what we are using. Basically, this is where we really see, wow, it is a magnitude of assets. In the meantime, we need to control and we need to get the data. What helped me a lot is understanding the processes. And you see, I come very much also always from a process perspective, which helped me a lot in supply chain. Yeah. Um, in procurement later on, as chief innovation officer, it's known as processes were basically what I, um, what I, what kept me um, awake at night by looking into the problems, how to resolve it. And later on also at at BCJ, when I was thinking about, hey, how can I help clients be to get to give the best advice? And now as CEO in, in the healthcare industry, you can imagine also how important and critical it is to have full transparency about the assets. Now there comes a different component. Mm -hmm. The assets are also numbered and you have um, um, a process in place where you need to track every single asset for example if we talk about a medical uh, device and implant um what um what a patient might need during an intervention you yep. better know exactly what are the components of that you know you want to know exactly where it comes from you also want to know in a case that there's something with the material not 100 percent um um uh, correct that you find the right patients to help them to exchange whatever they have. And this is applicable. It's a beautiful example about us as people, how important it is. And we have a keen interest in knowing exactly what are devices um, um, we need uh, for our health. But on the other side, this is a great example also being applicable for all industries because we know these assets and we need in the combination also having the full transparency and therefore the digital twins, IoT, now 5G, 6G in the future might help us here by getting also access to all the information. Today, we can, we can just um, press a button and, and get a list of all the different components, the assets, where is it exactly, what happened with that, um, do we have the transparency? Can we reach out to the people um, um, in the process? And this is exactly what counts and where we need to look into that right now and where data help us a lot by getting the transparency or having the transparency across all the different steps of the processes. Well, I, and you're, you're opening the door here to something that I think is, is an interesting place for innovation, which is on the one hand, we spend a lot of time in procurement, or I'll just let me go back here into sourcing, manufacturing and procurement in the assembly of the front end of the supply chain. But we've not spent, and there's huge opportunity to spend equal amount of time in the back end or what people sometimes call the reverse logistics, right? Why don't I have the same effort that's put into how to deconstruct, like you're describing, what I've manufactured into its core constituents so I can circulate them back into the supply chain, which is the whole point of circularity. So for example, you know, I look at, um, uh, you know, Ikea, you know, I have all this assembly of the furniture, but then if I need to disassemble it, there's no directions. And it's like, we need the same level of scrutiny and itemization in the deconstruction process 
to facilitate circularity. And the example I would give, I was just at a conference a couple of weeks ago with the head of uh, uh, supply chain for Goodyear Tire, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, I was like, how is how is rubber not recyclable, right? And you know, how is it that we're not recycling tires you know, day in and day out? <clears throat> and he said, it's not the rubber. We can recycle that all day long. But in our manufacturing process, we've reinforced those tires with these, you know, this metal. The metal. Yeah. Right? And it's actually the deconstruction and the removal of the metal from the rubber tire after it's manufactured that's so problematic. And I was like, well, okay, then no one's thought through the back end reverse logistics and the deconstruction. So my question really is, it feels like we're also at a place now too that we're kind of rewriting the circularity principles to be as meticulous in reverse logistics as we are in the procurement process. Because we've been refining that for 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, thousands of years if you want to look at it. We've never spent as much time on the back end. That seems like a huge opportunity right now on the back end, right, for the global supply chain to kind of get its get its act together to start getting that circularity in place, right? Because we don't know how to deconstruct things. Absolutely correct. And I'm a big fan of the circular economy. I believe this is definitely what we need to do. And just basically all the um, products we use only for single use. Uh, like fast fashion is for me uh, basically the best negative example I could come up with. Uh, why should I buy a shirt only to wear it once or twice and then I, um, I, I put it in a bin? And by the way, fast fashion is not possible to recycle at all. So basically it breaks the circular economy principle. Um, this is definitely something what needs to change. I think there are three things. When you ask about the reasons, what needs to be done? Number one, and as we are talking about um, economics, it is as a price a month. Um, if there is no price for recycling, if we have access to cheap products, um, if plastic is, is cheaper, if we produce it new from, from oil, uh, perfect. What do you do? So basically, we all have um, revenue, we have EBIT uh, um, uh, target. So therefore, we need to think about what is the best. Um, to basically serve our shareholders, the owners um, of, of the companies, and therefore price is number one. And I see now energy is a good example. I mentioned already now the price increase in energy, what we have here in Europe, um, or basically globally due to the Russian war in, in Ukraine right now, um, the price will change. And by that, um, it will be cheaper then to think about the circular economy, think about recycling, think about waste management. The mm-hmm. second component is also you need to have um, sustainability standards and think about the CO2 footprint, what you are producing. In the past, it was not so high as a priority, um, right. but we only have one planet. And uh, you can argue and you can say, oh, if it's getting hotter, I, I switch on my hair condition and things like that. It's not working globally for 8 billion people. Right. And, and not everyone has access in a similar way to resources like in the United States, in Europe, in, in parts of Asia, um, Australia, wherever we talk about. And therefore, the second component is the to look into sustainability, ESG, environmental, social, governmental. And by that, the third thing is um, using the D from ESG is regulations. I think yep. certain regulations make sense. Um, if you have devices where it's not possible to replace um, a display, a battery, for example, or basically if you have components which are now in the meantime um, 
connected in a way that you simply can't break it. Or what you mentioned with the tires, I think there are ways now basically to um, um, to recycle tires and, and extract the metal out of it. And I think the cement industry yeah. is the largest uh, user of, um, uh, of old tires um, for the cement uh, production. But basically, we need to think also products in an end-to-end -end way. When I look back at the time when I grew up, I'm born 1970 now, everyone knows how old I am. Um, basically, it was absolutely clear if something is broken, right? we find someone to repair it um, and, and we fix it. Nowadays, if something is broken, you put it in a bit and, and basically you buy something new or you try to get it replaced, but basically then the company takes care of that, which is not necessarily a better. And you see sometimes even, um, I read um, some news about now um, the, the retailing process, brand new products in, mm. in, um, in retail for e-commerce. And, ship back um, for whatever they are not fitting or you don't like them um, when you see them are getting basically also destroyed. And this is also showing you we need to be more thoughtful in a way. And therefore, I believe the price, um, the sustainability aspect, as well as some regulations are needed here to make the change happen. And we need to end up in a circular economy Otherwise, we only have one planet. Probably we find another one. Probably Mars will provide us resources. But this is decades out. Yeah, right. So therefore, we better think about what do we do. And I'm pretty sure no one wants to have the climate change. Right. Some nice warm weather is definitely a good thing, and probably most people enjoy. But when you when you look on a global scale, what it does to our environment, to to the climate. Um, basically, you might not like that because it is simply not possible to continue in that way by the resource consumption, what we have, especially for the industrialized countries like North America, Europe, um, parts of Asia, China is now um, um, accelerating the growth, or basically now the growth is a little bit uh, slower, but still going on a very large scale, um, which makes us think about in a different way how to basically um, continue in the future with the resources we have available on this planet yep so again it's like a like it, it's like maybe you've spoken about this before i mean not only does the passion come through but the insights right so and i'm right there with you i mean this is this is a major problem that we need to solve you know now that we see for the first time the true global uh supply chain as reflective of the global economy and start thinking in those terms right it's a hundred trillion dollar economy it's a hundred gigatons of stuff Ironic that those are identical numbers, but that's that's the data that we have today. You know, how do we solve this collectively, right? I mean, it's it's a this is a human being, eight billion of us that are connected to the supply chain need to fix this. So let me let me shift gears a little bit though, because again, I, I look at this and I could spend the entire day with you. So I, I mean, I have to be conscious of time. <laughs> Conversation fascinating. So I hope to go back and forth. But let me shift to where you are now. And here's the question: So you're currently a CEO of of, of a healthcare kind of company. I want to get to that for sure. But underneath it though, you also represent, again, your career has been so interesting. You also represent career-wise a trend that's going on in the area of who people are tapping to run companies. And it's former people with supply chain backgrounds, right? You literally are embodying kind of, you know, 30, 40 years ago, CEOs were typically pulled from the CFO categories. And somewhere about 20 or 30 years ago, they started getting pulled from chief technology officers and chief product officers. 
And all of a sudden, the last five to seven years, chief supply chain officers have now, that title's emerged and is also being tapped to run companies. In a way, if I look at, uh, uh, you know, over at Apple and Tim Cook, he's a supply chain guy, right? right. <laughs> at the end of the day. Now, that could be good or bad, right? But let me ask you, just in your own reflection of where you're at today, you're, you're, you know, you got tapped, congratulations, to go run a company and be the CEO. But right. what is it about your supply chain background that gives you a unique perspective today to run a company, to help tackle the challenges of, you know, what a healthcare company or any company needs today? That's a good question. And reflecting a little bit on my own career, I think, um, Besides also hard to work and um, also your openness to change. I think I'm still saying change is the only consistent what we have nowadays. So you need consistently also to think about um, how to develop yourself, uh, probably also reinvent uh, your, for your career path um, when you look at that. And uh, you mentioned Tim Cook, um, an amazing example that you can make it from a chief supply chain officer to CEO of uh, the um, most valuable company uh, or number one or two, depending on how you want to uh, factor in Saudi Aramco. Um, but basically, that's definitely something also um, worth considering. Um, and supply chain helps you in one aspect, which is absolutely key. You really understand end-to-end what are the engineering your R&D folks doing? Um, what is it what they intend to do? Um, if you oversee also procurement, you reach out to the largest network on suppliers, you get in innovations from them. You need to understand also the manufacturing process as well as also distribution, logistics. And by that, I think you have a great set on operational expertise, what you uh, what you can bring into that, which helps you to understand basically how your company runs, but not only your company. I think it might help also how all the companies run just from a high level principles. And I don't want to want to claim that I'm an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm more on a general management tag. But I think it gives you a profound understanding of what's happening in the different steps of the processes, which you can then bring in for the benefit of your own company. And in my case now, running um, um, running a go purchasing um, organization with different um, IT solutions, software solutions, advisory in, in that um, basically it helps a lot connecting the different dots um, and really looking now into the challenges what we have currently by providing um, medical devices, the right services to the patient, to people in need um, at the right point in time. And really knowing what it means to really get everything and having transparency on suppliers helps you to set up the processes in the best way and giving you um, full understanding about what is critical, what is needed by, by them, and also help to educate your teams to understand what it means. Not everyone has a pleasure to work in all the different functions to really see all the different aspects. So therefore, I see also a key component of my own by developing, training other people um, to help them understand and also getting access to the insights I had the pleasure to get access to um, early in my career, now to help them to develop and also solve the problems, what we have for our customers in the best interest, to get the best price for the quantity needed, and of course, ensure in-time delivery. Right, right. Well, I, and again, I think you fly over it, you, you, 
you have that confident humility that that I talk a lot about. Adam Grant, just a corporate psychologist that everyone's reading these days, oh, he also yeah. talks about. He's great, um, but you, you know that comes through, uh, uh, you know, in loud and clear from your own background. But at the same time, I think you also kind of go over it. One of the things you talk about is system level thinking. So one of the key attributes of of anybody who's in supply chain today is you have to be able to do system level thinking if you're in a strategic planning role. And system level thinking is not very, it's a term, it's a buzzword right now. But if you break it down, it really means, and as you said this earlier, it's like you have to look at where literally are the raw materials coming out of the ground if they are, right? How are they getting assembled? How am I using them in my own products or, you know, or, uh, you know, toward the development of my products? Then how is that getting my customer? And then how am I getting that back at some point in time to put back in the circulator? And that's all new part of it. But not everyone's a great system level thinker, right? I mean, this is one of the things that's held supply chain and planning and all this back. Not everyone could see the big picture. I mean, as, as, as trite as it is to say, you know, not not everyone is that macro, right? Can connect all that stuff, right? Because it's too big. But what, so what, how did you know that you could do that? Like what gave, I mean, where were you starting to connect these dots? Because that's not a typical thing. You know, even in supply chain, I don't think it's typical, right? That people can see all the pieces and put them together in one jigsaw puzzle. I think <clears throat> helping um, and and getting insights with a good understanding of how things work yeah. might help you also by thinking about strategic elements, what you need to really um, see the connection between the different elements in the processes. And this is really what helped me a lot. Also, leaning um, back a little bit, um, looking from from a different angle and perspective on that, and then thinking about how does it really move? What is important at which point in time? And how can you also make it transparent? What are also risks what people might not see at this point in time? Um, which you might anticipate by basically also factoring this in and including that in your strategic thinking. And it sounds very visionary, but but honestly, it's more connecting really the data, having also the right software solutions, the tools, and of course, having also a great team um, and connecting for you lots of these thoughts to help you basically to understand, to come up with the right conclusion out of the observations, what you see. Yes. Well, very well said, Marcel. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, very well said. So again, I'm looking at the time here and I'm struggling because I'm trying to figure out like how to get all the stuff in. So I, <laughs> the hour goes by so fast with someone who's so interesting. Okay. So, thank you. so thank let me, let me, yeah, well, absolutely. But let me, let me, let me, let me kind of put a punchline on here. So, and we haven't even had a chance. So you are currently at, and let's just talk about a little bit about you kind of where you're at. You're at, um, you know, Prospitalia group, right? So maybe just give a quick overview on kind of what you're doing, what you're involved in. I know you just got started there and, you know, how do people find you and, 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 and you know, what are they going to see about Prospitalia, you know, over the next year or two? Basically, we have provider for um, um, healthcare um, uh, spent um, mainly for, for hospitals um, in a larger sense, also with some solutions, including um, advisories. That's what we do. Um, and basically, Strategy is pretty pretty simple, and the vision is um, helping to provide everything what is needed in time mm-hmm. um, at the best possible price, um, um, and of course ensuring that it has the desired quantity. Uh, I think people can connect with me. Um, easiest might be LinkedIn or Twitter. 
Um, very happy also to connect and um, also getting a little bit deeper in healthcare questions or health tech questions. Yep. Um, if people like, um, very happy to to connect and um, interact um, on social media. Um, I spend some time on that. Um, I know, um, you know, all the CEO, you don't have so much time, but basically, um, I think it's very important also connecting with the community and also exchanging um, uh, thoughts and getting new ideas. It helps me a lot also to do my job. Absolutely. So, so, and again, I want to be conscious of your time and it's, you know, spending an hour of your day. I, you know, I really, really, really thank you. And this is such a fascinating conversation. And, and, and there's just so much to go on in here. Um, but just in kind of the conclusion here, so a little bit. So looking forward, you talk about healthcare, you talk about prospitalia, you talk about spend management, vendor management, you know, but how do you see, I mean, healthcare is obviously, I mean, supply chain front and center, healthcare is obviously in front and center after the pandemic. You know, what are what are the major issues you see? Health, I mean, you know, if I break all the industries out, I mean, oil and gas, chemicals, healthcare, like which industries right now, and you might be biased, are moving a little forward in, in thinking about the total supply chain, as it were. Healthcare, I think, is right front and center, obviously, right? Anybody else that you're looking at that 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 you know are sort of leading the pack industry wide when it comes to supply chain management and integration? You know, is it just healthcare that's kind of front and center there, or no doubt about that? Healthcare is very important. Um, if you ask me really about supply chain excellence, you mentioned already Tim Cook. I couldn't agree more on how he has mastered supply chain, also prior to his own as CEO. Yep. Um, I think Apple is for sure an amazing example. When I look at the logistics capabilities, what companies like Amazon are doing, um, it, it's amazing seeing how to get everything within hours to the people when you order something. Um, yep. This is really where you see the excellence in, in supply chain. On the solution side, I would also say that, of course, software companies um, are providing um, technologies, the infrastructure you simply need. Yeah. Um, to make all that happen. Analytical um, components um, to really have access to your data. Um, this is absolutely key. So I think in the future, we will even see more supply chain excellence um, as a top priority. Automotive is industry-wise definitely a great, um, great industry sector also to include here, which I would uh, mention. But basically, I think all the industries are looking into that. It's only a little bit a different level where they might be at this point in time and thinking about, and at the end, customer dictates us what has the priorities, what to do. If the simple expectation is, oh, I order something now, when I get it an hour later, this is the expectation setting. I'm not sure if everything is needed in that way, and we need coming back to sustainability also. What is the footprint of what we are doing by that? Yep. Um, but on the other side, it is a customer's expectation. And we as companies, by the way, are also managing customer expectations. In my case, it's a patient. Yep. Um, when you look at healthcare, um, and very often, you simply don't have the time. So therefore, you need to think also in a different way how to accelerate really logistics distribution for certain medical products to ensure that you get everything what is needed. You can wait for an iPhone for another day. Some might disagree on that, but I think it's fair. Um, but if you are in an OR and an intervention is going on, there is no time to wait. The doctor is now um, um, now um, doing um, an intervention, and basically you need what you need. Yep, totally. Well, listen, uh, um, you know, Dr. Fulmer, this has been amazing. We're hit an hour. I, like I said, I could go for hours here, so I, I want to wrap up and, you know, um, 
thank you so much for your time, your insights, your career. We'll obviously track, would love to have you back. It's a small community. Um, but, you know, uh, really, thank you so much for spending the time. Great insights in here today. Just a wonderful program. Richard, you're very welcome. And many thanks for the feedback. We'll see you so great talking to you and great questions. Um, awesome. I hope it's insightful for the listeners. Thank you very much for having me. Much appreciated. Got it. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about this episode or topics on supply chain you'd like us to cover, you can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, check out the Requis platform at supplychain.requis.com. Requis allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud while collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at requis.com.